today on CityCast Denver. It feels like every time I hear anything about Denver International Airport, they're asking for more money. And it happened again last week. The airport announced it needs another billion dollars to finish the Great Hall project. What the heck is going on here? Fortunately, Denver Post reporter John Murray is on the show today to break down this entire four-year-long boondoggle of a project, just in time for the airport to get crazy busy over the holidays. Today is Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. I'm Avery Lill, and this is CityCast Denver. It sounded like you wanted to go kind of a little bit more holistic or historical on um, Great Hall and DIA. The whole saga. It's like a uh, (laughs) a Tolkien saga. (laughs) (laughs) John, welcome to CityCast Denver. Uh, Thanks for having me. How much of your brain is taken up with this DIA Great Hall saga? You know, it's something that I was trying to remember the other day. I, I started covering it a year or so before... Uh, they started construction, so back in like early mid 2017, um, when they were discussing uh, and putting together the contract, uh, the original contract for this. And so, yeah, it's been a good four and a half years. That is a long time. So, just to get the latest, you reported this weekend that the airport is now asking for an additional 1.1 billion dollars to complete the Great Hall project. What is all that money for? So the the basic answer is that that is to kind of go back and do most of what they had originally set out to do. Um, two years ago, it ran into trouble. A year ago, they, year and a half ago, they scaled it back uh, to complete it within more or less the original budget um, plus some contingency. And their argument now is, hey, you know, we're going to have to do the rest of this at some point because DIA is going to resume growing. It's it's already about back to where it was in 2019 in terms of passenger traffic. Um, and they think it's going to continue on upward trajectory. So if they don't do it now um, or add it back to the project now, um, it's only going to get more expensive and it's only going to be more of a hindrance for passengers. So they're saying this will actually save money in the long run. <laughs> basically <something>. yes. <laughs> yeah, basically yes. Um, you know, a, a billion now, you know, more later. <laughs> um, and so instead of stopping at the halfway point, which is what they ended up being able to do with the original budget, they're um, saying let's you know spend bigger now and finish it off. I've got to say my brain somewhat short circuits when we're talking about amounts of money this large. Let's go back to chapter 1 though. How did the Great Hall project even start? So it started, uh, if you remember the last big project, um, kind of as a signpost, that was um, a, a decade ago and then finishing around 2014, 2015, they built out the the hotel and transit center just south of the terminal that has a you know, big plaza connecting it, um, the big uh, Westin Hotel, and then where the A-Line train comes into Union Station, they built that. And so as they got off that off of their plate, they looked ahead and um, they talked about this Great Hall thing, which is, hey, this terminal was built in 1995. Um, it was originally intended to have about 50 million people coming through every year. Um, now, 2019, by 2019, we had 69 million. Um, they think they're even on an upward trajectory of, of 100 million um, in the next decade or so, uh, which sounds you know, pretty optimistic, but you know, I, I've heard crazier things. Um, so they, um, in around 2015 or so, starting to put it t- together this 
project, and then we're able to start going through bid processes and, and selecting contractors in 2017, um, and then they inked the deal, and 2018 it got underway. And what was the original hope? It sounds like obviously to accommodate more passengers, but what else did they want to do with it? Uh, they also wanted to update and, and refresh the facility to um, also um, adapt to just changes in air travel, right? So when it was built, DIA just had these long banks of, of check-in counters, right? Because everybody went up and saw a, a ticket agent when they got to the airport, if they were checking a bag, all that stuff. We didn't have self-check-in on apps before you got there uh, or digital boarding passes, uh, things like that. So what they really wanted to do was modernize that part of the process and say, hey, you know, we we don't need just these these walls of, of counters. We need larger areas, um, more friendly areas to, to have lines um, that are not twisting everywhere and you know, for people to kind of serve themselves and have space for these, these kiosks um, and stuff like that. Um, and then on the security side of things, you know, this was the, the last major airport built before 9-11 in the United States. After 9-11, obviously, the security situation changed and they had to get more serious about security and it also took longer. Also, DIA continued to grow, so just the footprint of security got bigger and has gotten more constrained over time. And it's also, if you think about the atrium of, of the terminal at the airport, there, there's always kind of been this worrisome um, factor of, hey, it's a little bit vulnerable from above. You have all these walkways above security, um, you know, whether it's like you know, contraband getting through or just people being vulnerable to attack from above. Um, you know, they're kind of had been touchy about talking about that for a number of years, but that was really one of the main concerns about, hey, let's move security uh, to different spaces where we can kind of expand the capacity. Um, so they talked about doing that upstairs uh, where some of the ticket counters are, um, then making more space for ticket counters by by uh, kind of reconfiguring other parts of the upstairs of the terminal. And I read in your story that this whole project was supposed to be finished this year, but I moved to Denver about three years ago, and it's been under construction the entire time I've been here. You've been reporting on this for more than four years. The story is almost old enough to go to kindergarten. Why is it taking <laughs> so long? Um, you know, the the first kind of big hiccup in the saga, to mix metaphors, is that you know, so it starts in, in 2018. And early in 2019, we started to find out publicly um, getting tips that, hey, there's there's some problems on this project. Um, initially, it was was some battles with between the airport and the contractors um, called Great Hall, Hall Partners, a, a big Spanish uh, conglomerate um, called Ferrovial um, out of Madrid. They're leading this um, with a, a Centennial-based local company called uh, Saunders Construction, and it's this big giant public-private partnership. Early on, there's a battle over concrete, uh, the original concrete in the terminal. Because uh, they're extending the upper level at, into the atrium a little bit, you need structural steel support. And the concrete, the concern was that in testing, it's not strong enough to support that. Now, there's a lot of twists and turns there. In the end, they were able to accommodate that. Um, it did delay the project or start the delays on the project, though. Um, and it didn't end up being quite as bad as they had feared it would be. Um, but that's just one one step. There's also... At this time, battles between the, the contractors and the airport officials, including the CEO, Kim Day, who'd been there for, uh, I think, over 10 years at that point. Um, she's an architect herself, and they, the contractors thought that she was micromanaging the project, um, requiring her approval and sign off for a lot of decisions, um, as well as, as problems with other airport officials. On the other side, they um, said, have said that uh, the contractors um, 
underestimated the cost of the project, that they were um, delaying the project themselves um, by taking forever to uh, make decisions on their end, um, that they are, their timelines were too optimistic. Um, and just a, a whole battery of, of disputes and, and finger pointing back and forth started to play out. And this is in the first year of the project. Um, and it disintegrates to the point where in August of 2019, um, the, the, after there's been a lot months of, of reporting in the media about the, some of these problems and the, the delays that are starting to mount and costs that are starting to skyrocket in the projections, um, they end up terminating the contract, which is a huge step that, that very rarely happens in public contracting. And to do that, they essentially had to pay the contractors to go away or to terminate their contract, right? Yeah. Yeah, they had to pay out everything they owed. They had to pay for all the materials that were on order. There were some um, even uh, millions of dollars of, hey, you know, this public-private deal that you had that was going to last 30-plus years, you know, you had considerations down the line and expected returns on your investment. We have to compensate that. Um, it didn't end up being a huge amount of money, but it's public money, so any amount is, is something I think that raises eyebrows. So how does the pandemic fit into all of this? Well, the, um, the, you know, the, I mentioned that the termination happened in August of 2019. They hired a new set of contractors. Uh, they came on um, in February and March of 2020 and picked up the ball um, and got the, the project back on track. And if you recall, that is right as the pandemic was setting in. So just within weeks of them starting um, air traffic, you know, just plummeted across the country um, to to very the lowest levels in a couple of decades. Um, and actually, for the purposes of if you're doing a lot of work in an airport that's very disruptive, that's a great situation uh, to get more work done. So they were able to um, you know keep the schedule moving. Um, they didn't get delayed on the project any further. Um, and they, they kept it rolling. Um, they were able to do some of the, the stuff they had intended to do at night, some of that you know, kind of disruptive, noisy work, uh, more of it during the day because they weren't as worried about impacting passengers um, who, for, at least for you know, several weeks uh, or a couple months there, were not traveling in, in big numbers at all. But now even it, there's a lot of question about what the airport industries or what the airline industries are going to look like and what people are going to be flying for as we've kind of learned how to meet over Zoom and stuff. Does that change the estimates on how much people are going to be using the airport or what the value of the Great Hall project is? You know, it's it's a, a good question, and there's not a great answer yet. Um, I will say that um, DIA um, has had one of the fastest recoveries of any U.S. airport, which um, is a little surprising. Um, but when you think about it, um, you know, compared to the coastal airports in the United States, we have we have international flights, but not nearly as many. So. We are most reliant on connecting traffic here, um, Southwestern, United, and, and even Frontier. They have a lot of connecting flights through Denver, people who never leave the airport. And um, that uh, picks back up because domestic leisure travel, uh, people going on vacations and trips, um, especially after they were stir crazy after the lockdown um, and into the second half of last year and then continuing all through this year, has really driven up the traffic. So you know, the first half of this year, that was enough to make it the third busiest airport in the world as far as the number of people going through, which is pretty astounding. That's not going to wow. last, but uh, and it is probably starting to decline now. Um, but yeah, the, the question going forward is, is what does this um, industry look like going into the future? It looks pretty clear like DI is going to resume growing. Their projections for next year are that, that they're going to have um, their first record year since the pandemic, um, beating pre-pandemic. In all, how much 
much money are we in at this point? How much of the, has the airport spent so far? You know, I've got spreadsheets to help me keep track of this. <laughs> um, so the either spent or committed through what they now call phase one and two. They just finished phase one um, to take down the construction walls in the middle of the concourse. That makes it easier to get through. Phase two is underway now um, with moving the one security upstairs uh, checkpoint. Um, they're all in right now for $770 million, give or take, where, wherever those budgets end up. Um, and they're, you know, Kim Day had been committed and promised to hold it to that. However, um, as the new CEO came in, and, and there's kind of this current of, of extra appetite from city council, some members of city council, like, hey, let's not leave security hanging. Let's finish out at least that part of it. So they're not going to a council that is just putting its hands up and saying no more. But the question is, will council go for $1.1 billion, which is more than double what they've spent already. Um, so if they if they get through with that, it would bring the, the whole project up to like almost $1.9 billion. Um, one thing I will note, because um, I, I think this is what um, I, I think a lot of people were reacting to with that story over the weekend uh, reporting on this, is that, you know, this $1.9 billion price tag really includes most of what they originally set out to do. And so... You're talking about the original project, give or take. Uh, there's a few com- components they're leaving on the cutting room floor for more than twice the money that they had originally budgeted. And, and, and I think that is one thing that, that breeds frustration and, and distrust of, of government is, is when entities like this, even though DIA you know, pays its own freight, it generates its own revenue, this is not coming out of city tax dollars. Um, the, the fact that they're doing basically the original project and and they admit now that w- working with those contractors um, originally, they just got the price wrong, um, that they way lowballed it. Materials costs have gone up since then, labor costs, all that. So that adds some, some extra uh, unforeseen costs, but they really just whiffed it um, at the start and just did not understand how much it was going to cost. I'm really glad you also brought up the where the money is coming from. It's not taxpayers' dollars, but it is public money. How does that work? So you think of how an airport operates, and I guess not everybody knows the intricacies, but it's off of its own revenue. So you think, like, just as a passenger, you pay for parking. That's a lot of, of money um, at the airport. Um, all of the concessions and you know, restaurants and, and shops at the airport pay, pay rent um, and a share of their uh, revenue to the airport uh, for being there. The airlines play, pay rents and landing fees and, and all of those various operating costs. Um, and so all that adds up. And so really the, the the key stakeholders that the airport has to keep on board with projects like this are the airlines, uh, because in the end, they're going to end up paying for a lot of the projects. They'll pass it on to passengers, of course. But so far, the, the airlines do seem on board with this. They want a growing airport. They, they're eager to grow here. And I think that that is is sort of a one of those hard truths that that um, you know people look at this and say, hey, like, gosh, one point one billion dollars. Think of what the city could do with that. the The problem is, is that we don't have a one point one billion dollars if it's not being spent at the airport on this project, because otherwise, you, like, you'd have to get the airlines to kick in money for city projects outside the airport. That's not going to happen, obviously. So. So it's not like it could become sidewalk money or something like that, even right. if it didn't become DIA Great Hall money. Right. And and that's hard to digest, I think, for, for some folks, because, yeah, it's sort of a, you know, to, to improve on its own grounds, DIA 
has a blank check as long as they can keep their stakeholders on board because those stakeholders will pay for it in the form of increased fees. But those are not fees that would go to things outside of the airport. Well, John, I just want to thank you so much for helping us unspool this long and complicated story. And thanks for being on CityCast Denver. Oh, thanks. My pleasure. And so the saga of the Great Hall project continues. John told me if City Council approves the additional $1.1 billion, work could continue through 2028. That's 10 years after the whole thing started. So yes, travelers will still have to deal with construction around the holidays this year and next year, and the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. Denver's top public safety official is leaving his position in January. The Denver Post reports that Murphy Robinson, who's been the executive director of the Denver Department of Public Safety since January 2020, said he's been planning to leave for some time. He's been criticized for how the Denver police responded to protests in 2020, as well as for removing the public safety representatives from a community-led task force working to reform public safety following the protests. The city hasn't announced a nominee to replace him yet. And fruity vape cartridges aren't going anywhere. Stores in Denver can continue to sell flavored tobacco products. According to Denverite, Mayor Michael Hancock vetoed a bill last week that would have banned selling them. City Council needed at least nine votes to overturn the veto. And Monday night, only eight council members voted to overturn. One last thing, be careful out there today because it's going to be windy, like hurricane force winds in Denver. And that means driving top-heavy cars is going to be riskier, and there might be some power outages. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye, y'all. I feel weird about congratulating vapors. I don't want kids to vape. I mean, I don't think that that's the most important thing, but I don't I don't I don't want to celebrate it.